that truth that the church is built on Jesus Christ is the truth we want to share this morning with you, that uh, it is about Christ and what he has done, that the God the Father sent him to die for us, as Pastor Shirley shared, and we get to walk in that and that grace, Jared, yeah. good morning. Here we good go. Morning. We haven't yeah. done this for a while. Now, this is kind of a little awkward for Jared and I because normally I sit over there and he sits here. We, we traded sides. Do you know how your minds sometimes when they're not exactly the way it's been in the past, they kind of mess with you? <laughs> yeah, this is like, whoa. Like, okay. Yeah, so we're here for Vision Sunday. We always take a pause in the fall. We started Hebrews last week, and we're coming back to that in two weeks. But we always pause for Vision Sunday to talk about uh, where the church has been this year and kind of where we're going and and we got some exciting things, I think, to talk about. You know, God is really on the move in this valley. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys recognize this or not. I hope you do. Not just in our church, but in so many churches across the valley. You know, we've baptized more people in the last 10 months than we normally do in a year. It's been an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. One of our church plants that we help out, Redemption Hill, they just baptized 34 people about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. There was a church down in Lehigh that baptized 100 people about two months ago. Mm-hmm. So God is on the move in this valley, and it's not just our church. We're seeing this in so many churches up and down the Wasatch Front, right? God is doing um, some amazing things. Yes, He is. No, it's really exciting because week by week we sense, you can feel it here, the, the vibrancy in our worship as we worship Christ. We have guests and we have people that come into our church every week seeking God. We're amazed by the number of people that are actually on a spiritual search in our valley right now. Um, last week we had several people raise their hands either to receive Christ or take further steps with Him. This seems to be a, a weekly occurrence. We have uh, 30 students on a retreat this weekend, so we have 30 of them missing over on this <laughs> side. But uh, they, I mean, the kids are just excited about Jesus. And the giving this year, we're thankful for this. It helps us keep going as record giving for our church family uh, ever in the history of our church. And so thank you for that. It's really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah not only that, I, I, you guys know that we've sent out a couple people. We sent out Josh Stakowitz, who was our office manager and discipleship uh, assistant pastor there. We sent him out to be uh, a missionary in Germany, and he's been there now for seven, several months, doing really well. We also sent out Christina Kurtner, who went to uh, Asia, or Asia, East Asia, however you want to say that. And uh, she's doing really well. In fact, she's been in contact with us and keeping in touch with Courtney, our, uh, our office manager. And not only that, we continue to support Kirk and Crystal. You saw them a couple months ago. They're now back in East Africa doing their thing. And uh, just really cool things. We also sent out 30-plus people to Guatemala this year. Most of those teenagers. That was no small feat. And uh, it was a really good time. Pastor Kevin and I were there. And uh, it was really cool to see what God did through all those, as well as a couple smaller teams, both to Japan and Croatia. And uh, Shelly tells us we have a complete department of children's workers and children's teachers now that, in our classes. So thank you to the congregation for that. Of all that God's done, that's, that's the that's biggest miracle. That's a big miracle. That, that's <laughs> a parting of the Red Sea. So we're grateful for that. And uh, Pastor Tono has just finished up a year of ministry with Iglesia Galileo. And it's so good to have him here and continuing to minister to the Hispanic populations. 
And uh, we just see God working in all kinds of crazy ways. And recently, if you remember, about a month ago, six weeks ago, we had you nominate new leaders for our church uh, in both the church leadership team and for elders. And we had, I think, about total maybe 60-some nominations from all of you. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you made and our work difficult. Yeah. That, yes, <laughs> we only needed six CLT people and two or three elders. And so, uh, but, but here's what's cool. As the CLT worked at this and came up with the nine different people we would ask, all nine said yes. I have never seen that day, ever, where you ask a group of people to serve in leadership, demanding places, and they all said yes. So we want to introduce them yeah. to you a little Let's bit do that. this yeah. morning. Yeah. So we're going to do our elders first, and so we're going to ask, uh, two of them are here, and so we're going to invite them to come up here with us as we talk about the elders and the elder um, process. So the first one, I, I'd invite uh, Dr. Mike Kirby to come up here, uh, as well as Tono Rodriguez mm -hmm. to come on up. Mm -hmm. Let's give a let's give yeah. a hand for these guys. <clears throat> and then also, we have asked Nathan Davis, who many of you know, but Nathan Davis, unfortunately, his father just passed away yesterday. And uh, quite here, suddenly, and so please be praying for Nathan and his family. We've, we've been praying for them and in contact with them. Um, but these are the guys that the CLT and the elders have narrowed down to ask to be a part of the eldership process. This is not a done deal yet. These out of the people you nominated, we felt like these guys were most qualified and ready, and they felt like God was asking them to do it as well. And so they'll begin a process now of writing a a 25-page paper on their theology, which the CLT and the elders will scrutinize. We will question them about it. And then eventually that will come to you to be read uh, and to ask questions, and then we'll take a final vote. So we're hoping to do that, get this process complete, hopefully by the new year for these guys. Yeah, and Tono, he's going to write his in English as a second language, <laughs> so he has double challenge to do both writing and translation at the same time, so we're super excited uh, for this. Now, uh, the elders are always accountable to the congregation. Uh, while they are the ones who have the final authority, um, and they are the ones that give direction to the church and instruction and correction and give basic leadership to the church. They are accountable to the congregation, to you. And the way we do that most intensely is we have what we call a church leadership team, which is made up of 10 people from the congregation that you have nominated that we meet with monthly. And we uh, review things we're doing, the directions of the church, things we think God is calling us to do with them and get their input. And oftentimes we'll change our plans or tweak it or adjust it based on the input of this team. And so this team of 10 people represents the congregation, all of you to us who are leading the church. And we have found this team invaluable. We have done nothing major in the church without their being entirely with us and thought through it with us. So this is a critical team. And so we have six people that have been nominated by you. Um, and here they are that will be joining our team. Commensurate with a vote here by you in a moment. But uh, David Smith, many of you might know these people. You know, what's interesting is these are leaders who are here regularly, and all six are not here today. <laughs> <laughs> so if that strikes fear in your heart, you probably ought to. <laughs> so, but David Smith, and then Grace Kundi, Jeremiah Johnston, Jillian 
the female side of that equation, Jillian Swellen, Phil Hers, and Mark Hoshizaki. And so these people will be joining our... There's Phil. There's Phil. Phil's, Phil's here. here. Oh, there Come on up, Phil. He's holding down. There it is. <laughs> There's Phil. Come on up. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So glad, Phil. You represent all six. So... Okay, so what we do now is because these are people that represent you, and you know these people, you nominated these people, um, all of them got many, many nominations, is we ask the congregation to actually affirm their nominations. So we have a ballot like this, right? I feel like we're like kind of on an airplane here. Yeah. So. If you'd like that credit card, please sign up here. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. And... There's also a stack of them back there. There's a stack up here, and there's a stack back there. You can grab one and, and fill it out um, and then affirm yay or nay. Um, our Constitution requires 75%, and then you put it in the connections box. And also then we have the app, and Jason graciously endures us as we struggle through these things, and Jason comes through and provides an app for us all to vote on if we would like. So you can do that Church Center app. If you don't have that, get on the Church Center app. And there's an opportunity there to vote for these candidates. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, so the elders, again, they provide the final authority oversight for the church. The CLT is an advisory board to them. And so the elders that we have asked to go through the process will go through this process and we will vote later. Today we're only voting to affirm the CLT members that the elders in the CLT have put forward to you guys. So please make sure that you do that today. But before they go... We're going to pray for these guys, yes, for the new to. members, some that are here and some that are not, and the elders beginning the process. Yes, let's do. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your church, the body of Christ. The church is the foundation of the body, and he is the chief shepherd of this church. And yet, God, you ask many now to come and serve as under-shepherds of this congregation and to uh, give guidance and direction and wisdom, and we're thankful for them. And we ask your blessing. You protect their character and their hearts, their families. We ask that the processes that are ahead, God, would be uh, governed by you and that you would guide them and that you would guide us, God, to uh, the final step of affirmation of their leadership in our church. Lord, please uh, protect this church. Thank you for the good day we're in. Thank you for the secure, strong day of life change and and peace, and unity, and harmony, please, God, do guide and guard that, please, God, and, and be with these men, and particularly pray for Nathan today, who uh, he and Jeannie as their families in Boise, and they lost, he lost his father yesterday, God, thank you that the father was a believer, as the hope of the gospel comes through even in these moments, but be with him and give him peace, God, so we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, thanks, guys. This is a good day at Risen Life. I mean, we're just really thankful for how this process has gone, um, for leadership and your input and the, dis the healthy discussions we had as leadership teams. And we're just excited for who God has, has raised up and to help us accomplish the mission and the vision that we feel like God has given us. I mean, we have it in our signs here, this real-life transformation and real-life multiplication um, we believe like what Romans 1.16 says, that we're not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power to salvation for everyone who would believe that it would transform our hearts, that we would become different and new people in Christ, and that because of what it does to us, we would then go out and tell our cities and the world about the gospel. Yeah, and as Shelley said this morning, it's good news, right? 
because it changes us, it transforms us, it makes us new, it gives us new life. And this gospel of good news was celebrated when Jesus came in Luke chapter 2, where the angels rejoiced and sang over the good news of great joy. And this is the person of Jesus, who is the church's one foundation that we sang about. And so we feel that God is leading us uh, these days, and particularly this year, and maybe really actually over the lifespan of this church, yeah. to keep the gospel central and to focus on it. Uh, we've been um, teaching about it. Jared and I have uh, kind of been a little bit of a traveling teacher duo. We went to Guatemala and taught several pastors in different locations about it. We've taken a season with our staff to just review this gospel, uh, to teach it, and now we want to share it with you to keep us unified around this amazing thing. Uh, that the Bible calls good news, the gospel. So as we consider our vision, we're going to look at two things. This week we're going to look at basically what is the gospel. Okay, It's always for us good for us to return and, and really look at it specifically. What is it? What does it do in our lives? What's happening to us? Where does it take us? And then next week we'll look at now the, the church being built on the gospel, what a gospel-centered church would look like and, and how we're going in some new directions. Yeah, so let's talk about what is the gospel. And turn in your Bibles or your phones to Colossians 2. And this is the section that we've been teaching out of several times over the last many months that we believe highlights what this gospel is as well as any. Colossians 2, 9 to 14. And I will read it. It says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who has raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so this is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is the gospel that we preach to you, that, that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose Again, and in this text that we just read, it reminds us in verse 13 that we are all born dead in our trespasses. We are all sinners, and that Jesus then came and he died for our sins. Verse 14, having by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. So the judgment that we deserve, Jesus took by dying on a cross for us. And it says in verse 9 of this text this morning that this was done by Jesus who was fully God. He was the only one that was able to die for our sins because he was the perfect man without sin. So he alone was able to die for our sins. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. And so we are saved by putting our faith in Christ, in Him, and what He did for us. It is all by grace. It is not by anything we do. And it's all through what Christ did for us. 
You lost me there, Kevin. Did I lose you? All right, we're Romans 10, 9, and 10. There we are. All right, so the, the way we include ourselves in that is Romans 10, 9, and 10, which says, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart uh, that he was raised from the dead, and then we will be saved. So the story basically is that even since the beginning in Genesis, we were estranged from God in the garden. We have rebelled against him ever since. We had accumulated a great sin debt, and God sent Christ to die for us, to take away that sin debt, and we, we confess him as Lord and believe in him, then that is washed away and we begin to follow him. And we go through uh, baptism, which Colossians 2, 11 and 12 talks about, that we are, we are put under the water, which is a picture of us dying to ourselves and dying with Christ and then being raised up to new life, to walk in new life that this is a symbol of what God is doing in us. And so we begin to walk out this new life. Yeah, and it is the, the beauty and the glory of Christ and what he did and what he did on the cross and who he is for us that draws our hearts away from the world to walk and to follow God. And as Pastor Jared shared last week in Hebrews 1, that Jesus is greater and he is better than all things. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better high priest. He is better than the angels. He is the one for whom our hearts long. And, and so it's just a reminder in all of our lives, in all things we go through, in all things we face, in all things that come our way that we love and enjoy, that Jesus is better than those things. Yeah, in fact, I was in St. George the last couple of weeks with, with the family and, and Amy's parents, and we were uh, down there enjoying time and seeing great scenes and enjoying bike trails and enjoying the weather. I've never seen St. George so green in all my life as this year after all the weather. And I kept just walking around praising God, right? Like I, I would I would walk around in the mornings or at night and just go, man, God, this place is so wonderful. And, and yet God is better than that, right? Like Christ is more than that in our life. And when we get that right, then all those other things get really good too. Yeah, so this gospel comes to us and it changes us. And the, the Bible often speaks of it as uh, God in Christ, Jesus lived a perfect and holy life, um, and we are sinners and we are broken, that we have this what's called sometimes by theologians a great exchange, that we get Christ's righteousness, he takes our sin. And therefore, we stand holy and accepted before God by uh, grace in Christ. We are fully accepted. And this change in our hearts now and change in our position, we're given this new life, leads to a changed life for us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which we read, talked about how we we're saved by grace through faith. But it doesn't end there. In verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so this change of our hearts and our affections to God and to Jesus ahead of everything else in the world changes our behavior. And we want to be really careful because behavior and actions don't earn any right standing with God. We're not accepted because we obey, but rather we obey because we are accepted. And getting that right is so very crucial. And so this gospel, this gospel saves us, but it also sanctifies us, and it glorifies us in all things. Yeah, in fact, this is the message we actually never get off of, okay? We, we never move beyond the gospel message. Sometimes it's easy to go, oh, I 
accepted Jesus, now I'll go on to the deeper things or the things that really changed my life. And yet, it's this that changes our life. <laughs> this is the thing that we keep coming back to, that we have to experience transformation personally um, and, and for everyone. Everyone has to experience this. In fact, the, the longer you live in the gospel, the longer you live as a Christian, Tim Keller has this great quote where he says, that we find out that we're more sinful than we ever dared believe, and yet we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. So as we get closer to God, we see our sinfulness and the depths of our sinfulness. It's, it's ever deepening, and yet at the same time, it's matched with God's love that shows us that He loves us more deeply. He is more gracious to us than we could have ever dared imagine. And, and this is, the gospel is for us as pastors, right? We have to live in this and experience it. It's for, for you all. It's for our kids. I mean, this is, this is it. We can't get over um, this truth. In fact, Pastor Kevin and I were, were kind of reflecting uh, this morning and the last couple of days on just the ways that the gospel has changed us over our life over many years. You know, when I first came to Christ as a kid, you know what I wanted? I didn't want to go to hell, <laughs> That's a pretty good motivation, pretty right? Good motivation. Like, so I came to Jesus, I believe, so that I get out of hell. But in college, I learned that Jesus was better than so many things of the world. God showed me that his pursuit, his callings in life were better, so I began to give my life to that, right? The gospel got bigger to me. And as adult, as an adult, as I began to see my sins were deeper than I ever could have imagined, God showed me that his grace towards me was more sufficient than I could have ever imagined, right? We, ne we never get over this all through your life. You go through it. Even right now, God is showing me through the gospel what it means to have a lot of hope where I might not have had it before. And so we continue to grow in the gospel. Yeah, it's a lifelong journey for all of us. And I accepted Christ in my teenage years. And uh, for me, in the days that the church I was in, grateful for the church, taught me the gospel, but very legalistic. It was all about keeping rules. And in time, I need to learn that it's, oh, there's a God of, of grace out there that transforms me, not the rules. The law doesn't change me, but, the, but his grace does. And then to learn to see that not only was I this sinner, but I was also now in this position of acceptance before God and co-seated with Christ in the heavenlies and, and loved as the Father loves the Son and have my heart just freed in some new amazing ways. And then later on in my life to have these emotional experiences. I was an engineer and thought a lot and got an engineering degree and it was all about doctrine and right belief, you know. And then in time it begins to become this deep emotional experience in my life that, that changes my heart. And all these things are just growth in the gospel that comes as we go through life. And so it's a lifelong journey of experiences with God that is really cool. Yeah, so this is why we stay stuck on the gospel. It's what saves us. It's what will change us. It's what sanctifies us. And it's what ultimately will see us into the eternity. Um, so we're going to take now and just talk a few seconds about, okay, what are threats to this gospel? Okay, what, what might get us sidetracked from what God has for us? Colossians 2.8, Paul says this to us about staying focused on the gospel. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So he's saying, okay, make sure that you don't have the things of the world take you away from this message of the gospel. 
And so there's a couple ones that we want to hit this morning about how to keep the gospel central. And really there's, there's two big things that we can get into that will take us away from the gospel. One of them is legalism, okay? Doing things to get a right standing before God. We do things so we'll be approved by God. That'll take us away from the gospel. And the other is license. That would be so free to do lots of things and engage in all the things of the world that we would be carried away in our own heart rebellion away from God. Yeah, I, I kind of picture, I don't know if you have been to Estes Park or Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, our family has traveled there for vacation many times. And there's this road. It's the highest elevated road that doesn't have a dead end. It actually goes up and over the top and down to the other side. And it travels at like 10, 11, 12,000 feet uh, straight through. And you get to this point when you get to the top where you're on the road and there's a cliff off both sides. You ever been there? It's, cra- it's crazy, like, right? You're, like you're on the top of the mountain and you're still driving along the pinnacle. And, and that's what I kind of view and picture when I think about the gospel. The gospel is staying on that road, staying on the mountaintop. But on the cliff on the right is legalism and the cliff on the left is license. And they are dangerous cliffs and they will wipe out your, they will shipwreck your faith. And so we got to stay very centered on the gospel. And so we want to look at legalism and license as these two cliffs off the edge of the centrality of the gospel. Yeah, in fact, I was mountain biking this week in St. George, and there was some lines where I had to stay really tight on this line. If not, I would wreck on this side or that side, and I did really great. And then I got in the parking lot, and I had a big accident. So I don't know what that says, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> says about the gospel, um, but there it is. But so legalism is this. Paul says in Colossians 2.20, said, If with Christ you've died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, according to human precepts and teaching. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And yet this is where our heart runs to. We run to rules and religion to try to change us. And Paul's saying, that's not what changes you. It's actually the gospel that changes you. Yeah. So we tend to think naturally that by doing certain things, we are more acceptable to God. But we are completely accepted by God in the person of Christ. That's really important. right? And, and legalism says that I have to earn a right standing with God by behaving in certain ways. And it often comes out of us this way, that we make our lists of do's and don'ts, ones that we keep really well, and then we watch others according to our list of do's and don'ts, and then we judge them and criticize them and take up issue with them when they don't follow our list. Of course, they have their list, and they're judging us by their list, and it's a big legalistic mess. But what I want us to see is that if we make uh, our Christianity about following rules and being good and earning a right standing with God, it leads to one of two things, either pride or despair. And it usually goes back and forth, right? On the day you've been good, you feel real good about your faith. Like, I've been good today, God. Like, way to go. Like, I'm amazing, right? (laughs) Till tomorrow. (laughs) And then the next day you crash and now you're despairing, right? Because it's about your rule keeping. But when you make it about rules, about legalism, you'll either be proud or you'll be despairing. And this is destructive. This destroys your spiritual life. And it destroys congregations that have given themselves to this. Because there's only one way to truly grow and have our hearts transformed, and that's through the gospel. It's through grace. Laws do not change us. The rules cannot change the human heart. They fail. 
It is only through grace and the gospel that our hearts are changed. I love Titus 2, um, 11 and 12. These fabulous verses. It says, For it's the grace of God that has appeared that brings salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Okay? So grace saves us, but grace also teaches us to be righteous. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. I know like in our marriage, uh, when Kevin is having a bad day, and he does often, and sometimes I come home and take it out on Mary, like spouses sometimes do. I wish I were better. Um, And I feel so bad about what I have said or how I handled myself. And then I ask for forgiveness, and Mary looks at me with gracious eyes and kind eyes and says, I forgive you. I can't believe it that you would forgive me again and again and again. And you know what that does in my heart? It lights it up to want to be a better husband. It lights me up to want to be good. It lights me up to be, want to be a better person. It is grace, not law, that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And that is how God treats us. In fact, that's what Romans 2.4 tells us, that it's God's kindness to us that is meant to lead us to repentance. So that God loved us while we were unlovable. He died for us. He made a way. And then he accepts us as we believe in him. We are completely forgiven. And that kindness towards us drives us towards him in love. In fact, Paul in Romans 7, 4 says this. He says, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that now you may belong to another, that's to Christ, in order that you may bear fruit for God. So what God has done is actually paid the debt so that you could truly live in freedom with Him, that you could become the person that God intended you to be. We became something subhuman, right, when we, when we rebelled against God in the garden, and in Christ we're being restored to be who God truly made us to be and to live freely with Him and to do all, enjoy all the things that He has for us. In fact, you have freedom to be the best version of who God made you to be in Christ. And we miss that sometimes when we fall into this ditch of legalism. We make it all about performing so that God will accept us. No, we have to remember we are accepted in Christ, therefore we follow God and the things that he's asked us to do. So we want to be careful not to give ourselves to legalism. It, it can take on so many forms. Sometimes it just takes it through the form of, of church traditions, things that we have done or do as a church congregation, and they become like rules and laws for us, that if we don't do it certain ways, uh, we are not acceptable to God. Sometimes it can be a music style in churches or dress or, or certain specific sins that seem to be elevated to the highest level above all others. Um, and we kind of take on this culture of legalism in, in a church, and we want to be really, really careful that we're a church of grace that teaches the gospel and acceptance apart from anything we do. We don't want to just play church or do church. We want to be transformed by this message uh, of, of the gospel. Because here's the crazy thing. You can do a lot of religious things and not be transformed. Yeah. Right? You can do all the church things. You can sing the songs. You can do check check all your boxes and yet your heart not be transformed and what paul is saying is transformation through the gospel is what you got to have it's not about checking the boxes to make yourself acceptable okay so that's legalism that's one side of the cliff and that's a dangerous one don't go off that one it's a long way to the bottom (laughs) but there's another one that's equally bad and it's a steep cliff too it's called license it's where we let the culture of the world creep into our lives and into our churches and we take on 
the culture of the world in our churches. Um, and in our lives. Yeah. And in our lives, yeah. And, and this, is, this is troubling, and it causes great heartache and hardship. And uh, we know all kinds of churches all over the world that we have seen, right, that the church looks just like the world. It's no different. They're trying to be so much like the world that they just give in to everything and do exactly what the culture dictates for them. And 2 Corinthians 6.17 says this, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, we're to be a holy people. We're to be a set-apart people. We're to look different than the world. Like we're not trying to be like the world. Now we're to live in it. Right? We're to be in the mix, but we are to look and feel and act differently. Be in the world, but not of it. And so Jared and I and, and our family actually have this little term. We call it hot church. <laughs> that uh, The church that's really kind of trying to be just like the culture and have everything look just the same. It's very entertaining, very fun, very humorous, culturally attractive. It's the hot church, right? And we've maybe seen a hot church or two around, but... Um, is transformation really happening? That's the question, right? That's the issue. Is the gospel there, and is it transforming people? And that's the measure. Yeah, another danger to the gospel that we have beyond license um, is that the gospel is meant to be a life-changing message, right? It's meant to be exciting. It's meant to be really amazing to our life. But honestly, a lot of us don't see it as very exciting, Right? If we're honest with ourselves, maybe it's even, you see it as more restrictive and boring than anything else. Or maybe, oh, I got that, right? It's just one little thing. But if the gospel looks like that to you, then I would likely, I'd have to say that likely you might not have gotten it yet. <laughs> if it looks boring and you're apathetic towards it, which I think lots of times we are as Christians, it means our heart hasn't actually been transformed by it yet. In fact, one of the problems when we get to this apathetic place of the gospel is that we see it as just kind of one more thing in the whole list of things in the world that might benefit me in some way. And so we look to it just for its benefits. How Well, if it benefits me over here, then I'll take a little bit of it, but we don't see it as the key to transformation. And we take a casual approach to church, and no commitment, and casual approach to our lifestyles, Right? only where it benefits us. And yet, God is drawing us back. He's asking us to come back to this central truth over and over again, showing us our need for Him and our brokenness, right? That the world is empty. When we see how sinful we actually are, then we'll see how gracious and loving God actually is in the gospel. Yeah, I think the key to apathy, friends, is this is seeing the truth of the gospel in its deepest form. Like, we are more sinful than we'd ever dare believe. And we need more grace. And when God shows us that, I mean, it's just astounding. It just lights up the human heart. And we are completely and fully accepted by him by grace apart from anything we do. And the further we see those things, which are true, like really sinful but really loved and accepted, the greater that we see that gap, the more our hearts come alive. We lose our apathy I can't believe God still loves me. I can't believe he's so gracious to me and so good to me. So many years of fighting some of these things in my life, growing, yes, getting stronger, yes, but still on occasion falling to them. 
man, that God really loves me. And it just lights up my heart and changes me and brings transformation. Yeah, and so we have to sit in the gospel. Okay? We, don't, we don't move beyond the gospel. There's not some deeper secret truth out there. right? There's not a bunch of self-help things that will change you. It's about what Jesus did on the cross for us and the love God displayed for us. It begins to light up our heart. And so we want to sit right there. In fact, Paul says it this way, Galatians 6.14. He says, Be it far from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In fact, when you really get the gospel, you know what you become apathetic to? The world. Because nothing can satisfy your heart like the gospel does. And in fact, you will never be satisfied in this life until you get your life right with God and begin living in His truth and His love and His grace for you. Yeah, so Ben, you can come on up. We'll wrap up here. But this is what we want to do is create a culture. And we'll talk more about this next week. A, a counterculture that's different than the world, filled with love and acceptance but also filled with true transformation of the human heart and salvation and redemption to places where we are now fully human and fully alive, living as God intended for us. And that's what we want to, to create. And we realize that the d danger of missing that is in license and legalism, and we want to avoid those things. And so our, our challenge to you is just centered on this gospel. Would you dare give your life completely to Jesus as the one who loves you and died for you? Would you give your life to him and experience new life in him today? Would you grow because of his grace and his love for you over and over again? Would you surrender more of your life to him and trust to him and let him have his way with you? This is a lifelong pursuit. It goes on from the day we accept Christ to the day that we die. And then we get to know him more and more and the joy gets stronger and stronger. And it goes on through all eternity. So we're going to sing a song now. It's called, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. And let's make this our prayer this morning, right? That we want, we want to experience Christ in us. It's Christ in us that transforms us. It's all about what He did to make us acceptable to God. It's not about what we can do. We can't do enough. And yet Christ died for us so that we could have a way back into relationship with the Father. And it's Christ in us that continues to transform us and it's Christ in us that will see us into eternity. Let's give Jesus our all.